welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. So when I was in sixth grade, I kind of looked like that, and, uh, aww, and I was like most sixth graders, scared to death. In my sixth grade year, the two elementaries from my community joined together, and so there were 50% of the student body in my grade, I had no idea who they were. It's quite intimidating, let alone moving buildings and feeling like, oh, I'm in big bad middle school now. I don't know why I quoted it. It was literally middle school. But coming together in this group and feeling completely out of my element, out of my comfort zone, around strangers. On top of that, the Sanford family, while we were kind of a a small army in Hancock County, there were three brothers who each had kids all in the same grades. So I had a cousin on the right and left of me at lockers throughout my entire school life. And they were very accomplished as students, as athletes, more so than myself, so that was a little intimidating. My sixth grade year, my brother was the star quarterback of the high school on the front page of the paper. He has it hanging in his office still. (laughs) And here I am as a sixth grader, terrified, just thinking, oh my, I don't know what to do. So I I tried to piece together my fragile fragile self-esteem and, and just get through it, as all sixth graders do. Anyone know exactly what I'm talking about when you're in sixth grade? Or I know I'm not alone. Don't think I am ignorant to that. But there was a, an evening. It was a Friday night. It was the basketball game. You know, I kind of knew some people. And I knew the sixth graders gathered in this one spot way up in the corner of the gymnasium. And so I showed up, and I had my best, you know, T-shirt and shorts and hat on, and I was ready. You know, I was gonna, I was going to go and have a good time and fit in. And I walk up, and I sit down, and... People are kind of gathered around this one particular guy. Nice guy. I didn't think so at the time, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. And uh, he was the star basketball player. I mean, he was over six feet in sixth grade. So he dominated everybody. Everybody wanted to be around this guy. And so everyone's around him, and I step up and sit down and think, okay, I'll slide in here and get to, you know, be part of the crew. And he looks at me and says, man, you're so ugly. Serious. He was dead serious, and I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and uh, needless to say, I wish I could have just shrank down and just fallen through the cracks of the bleachers and just gone on my way. Uh, It impacted me, so much so that a few years later, my junior year of high school, because he made me mad, really mad. It started out as embarrassed, then it moved to, well, I'm sad, and then it moved to, I'm really mad. He made me so mad. Or did he? Does he have that power? Five years later in my junior year of high school, I heard that this guy wanted to run and be senior class president. It's what he wanted more than anything else, one of his friends said. So guess what I did? I ran for president. And I won. (laughs) But I am not proud of it. Because my motivation for doing that, I never told anybody. Right, so we're live streaming now, so world now you know. That was my motivation to run. And then I'm competitive, so I wanted to win, of course, as well. I'm not proud of that. I hung on to something that happened, gave me these emotions that I didn't know what to do with, and I, I gave him so much control 
over a five, six-year period of time. After we graduated, I mean, I kind of forgot about him. We moved on in life. But for that five or six years, I really let him have control over me and make me mad and sad that I still was steaming on it five years later. It's kind of, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Now, fast forward 20 years, and I was a part of a clinical pastoral education program, which is required for ordination. This was my group that I was in, and our teachers are in the black uh, tank top in the front and the suit in the back right. Those were our, our teachers. Those were our guides, our supervisors, and it's required for ordination. So I did this three years ago, four years ago, and uh, they threw me into IU Health Methodist Hospital in the cardiovascular intensive care unit and the neurological intensive care unit as a chaplain. They, now, they walked with me to teach me how to do this, but for 40 hours a week for 11 weeks, this is what I did. I walked into rooms with incredible trauma and tragedy occurring for family, and then I was going in as a chaplain. I felt out of my element. But luckily, I had this group with me because they, they spent time and we spent time learning together and unpacking the emotions that we encountered in that room, our own emotions. And it was good work because we have to separate ourselves from that work. Right? You, you walk in and spend all your time dealing with families going through these incredible traumas and then I'm supposed to go home, you know, clock out and be a dad and be a husband and be a person and a pastor and a student and all the things that I was. And that was hard, but I learned how. I had to learn to keep myself going as a person to do this work, and thankfully I had this wonderful community behind me, and this is the building where we worked. Now this community, we struggled together. We all struggled together. We learned together. We got angry with each other because when you spend time with people and get to know them, you start pushing each other's buttons. Amen? Family knows what I'm talking about. Some of you who are really good friends know what I'm talking about. It's just how it works. And funny enough, when you push through the moments where you're really mad at each other and you get through it, somehow you're closer because of it. And it's because you're committed to one another. We were committed to one another to walk with each other through that summer that was one of the most intense summers of my life. Now, I'd lost my dad a month before I started that program, so there's that on top of it. It was an intense time, and I was grateful for the community I learned how to navigate the commotion of the day in the hospital and navigate the commotion in my head and heart going through my own grief. And one day, I was in the room with a family. They gather sometimes the family into a small room that's not the hospital room to tell what's happened or a tough decision or something they need to know. And they call us in there. So when family sees me come in, they know it's not good. And they got told what they got told, which was dire news. And a woman stood up and looked at me, and she told me to get out of the room. She used other words, but we're in church, so I'm not going to use those words. She pointed in my face and said, get out of here. It was a tense moment, and I walked out of the room and sitting for a second and using the tools I'd been given, I wasn't angry. I wasn't even sad. I was actually thankful, and that may sound strange. They didn't kick Joe Sanford out of the room. They didn't know me. I represented God in the room. They kicked God out of the room. And the world was turned upside down, of course. This seems unfair, doesn't it? Of course they're mad at God. I gave them the chance to kick God out of the room. 
What an empowering moment. I've, they felt betrayed in their mind. I was honored to allow them the opportunity to respond in the way they needed to respond, knowing that probably they'll think about it more later. In fact, I, I hoped, I hoped that by what, doing what I did, that the next chaplain that came along, they might welcome them in the room, or they might eventually allow us to kind of work with them spiritually as they were going through this mental and emotional torment. I prayed outside of that room that me being kicked out opened the door. As much as I may have been certain that I know what they needed in the moment, there's no way they were going to hear that. No way they needed to hear that. And so I moved on. I could have let it stew in my mind. I could have hung on to that. I could have gone by and shot her a dirty look when I walked by the room. How dare she? But I can't do that. That's not good work. We recognize that. We have so much more control over ourselves and our emotions and the way we see the world than we often realize and give ourselves credit for. We can maintain a really strong awareness of what's happening in the bigger picture outside of the little moments. I'm so glad that I was taught that through clinical pastoral education because there's a lot of unpredictability out there, amen? And a lot of moments out there that are really hard. In our gospel passage today, John comes near the end of what we call the farewell discourse, chapters 13 through 17. Jesus is offering a final word and a prayer for the disciples before he's arrested that night, before they're about to enter into a very traumatic and tragic moment. He wants them to understand all that has happened in his teaching and ministry up to that point to give them a foundation so that when they go through the trauma and tragedy in the days ahead, they have a firm place to stand. We find a summary of many things in these chapters it's a great deal of repetition of phrases, which was what makes it so overwhelming to try and read sometimes, and you may experience that in the verses we're going to read in a moment. But what Jesus is doing here is he's praying to God for the disciples. He has completed his work in revealing the truth and the way of God to the disciples, and he's now asking that the hour, his hour of crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension, be his enthronement. He's completed the work. Now, God, exalt me with you. He's leaving the disciples, and they have no idea why. So he prays for them to be people of and with God, for God to continue the work that God has for them in the days ahead. Now, he wants them to be a community like the one I had at CPE, to learn together, to struggle together, and even make each other mad and push through it and grow closer and become a family. So let's listen to Jesus' prayer for his disciples as we hear from John 17, verses 6 through 19. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. This is because I gave them the words that you gave me, and they received them. They truly understood that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me, because they are yours. Everything that is mine is yours, and everything that is yours is mine. 
I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, even as I'm coming to you. Holy Father, watch over them in your name, the name you gave me, that they will be one just as we are one. When I was with them, I watched over them in your name, the name you gave to me, and I kept them safe. None of them were lost except the one who was destined for destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you and I say these things while I'm in the world so that they can share completely in my joy. I gave your word to them and the world hated them because they don't belong to this world just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking that you take them out of this world but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to this world. Make them holy in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I made myself holy on their behalf so that they also would be made holy in the truth the work of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus came to the world to reveal the truth about the world, the truth about the world and the truth about God. Prophets had come before and they gave the words of God, that often say the Lord saith in some of your translations, and then they'd speak the words that God had given them. Jesus was different. Jesus was more than words. Jesus was the, the word or, or the logos is the, is the Greek word, and I, I use that because sometimes we read this and we confuse the word for our Bible, and that's not what, what we're talking about here. We're talking about the logos, the logic, as that word is the root of, the understanding of God. Who is God and what is God about? That's the logos. Jesus was not just the words, but was the logos of God in flesh and blood in relationship, in community, in emotion, in feelings. Because we are much more complex than any words could describe. Amen? Jesus was God's glory in flesh and blood. Glory means it's a churchy word saying God's presence, God's appearance. It was given to us fully in Jesus. You want to know what God's like? Learn about Jesus. Jesus wants the disciples, and the words are kind of strange in the gospel, because he's using past, present, and future terms to talk about the disciples. Because we are to become the glory of God, and we're going to be empowered to do so through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the very presence of God within us and in us is seen in the world. What is God like? Look at the church. Look at the disciples. We are to know God. That's this talk of the name. You ever get to know somebody and you realize you don't know their name? We don't call people close whose names we don't know. And maybe you know their given name, but maybe you learn their nickname eventually. The name their close friends call them. We were given the name of God through Jesus. We are to struggle together as people of the name. We're to learn together, to grow together, to get mad at each other and push through and see how God brings us closer on the other side. We're to be a community, to be a family, the church, 
in a way that the world's never seen. We're to live this way of life that's entirely different than what is offered away from the body of Christ, what I call out there, what John called the world. The family and community is here. It's among you. It's each other. We can embrace life as it was meant to be. And Jesus said a few verses before the passage to have eternal life. Eternal life is life knowing God. Now, I know the many things you all do for each other and have done. You call each other. How many have gotten a call from someone in the church this week? How many have gotten a card? How many have received a meal from someone in the church this week? You show up at each other's homes for dinners or Bible study. You show up at the hospital when someone is sick and in need. You endure tragedy together. You dance and you celebrate on graduations and births, anniversaries. You celebrate promotions and new jobs. You help people who need financial help. I've seen it many times. And you give of your time and talent in each other's lives in ways I don't even know. Some of you have helped each other move homes, tutor kids, visit elderly parents. This is beautiful, amen? This is true life. This is eternal life. This is what it looks like to live in the life of God. Now, it's much different out there, amen? Amen? All right, let's make sure I haven't lost you yet. We're told to take care of ourselves out there. You take care of yourself, and then you take care of yourself, and you know so much don't got to take care of each other. That's the message of out there. We're told to place blame on them, and there are many thems. We're told that we can only be good enough if we buy the right stuff, live in the right place, drive the right car. We witness war, insurrection, horrific instances of violence and oppression out there. Sometimes it finds its way in, but for the most part, it doesn't. It's out there. Jesus knows that all who have come to know him and commit to the community of faith, they're no longer people of out there, of out there. We give that life up. In baptism, we, we leave it behind. We lay it down. We stop stewing on things people said in sixth grade. We stop giving people power to make us mad. We instead focus on living by a different way from out there. But, as Jesus was sent out there, we are sent out there. And it's hard to keep our heads and hearts straight out there. Amen? We get pulled into the games of the world out there. We get sucked into politics and prejudice out there. We get sucked into nationalism out there. And we get sucked into our own games and struggles too. Or maybe it's just me. We need each other. Because that's the logic of God. That's how it works. That's the truth revealed in Christ. It's the way. We were made for community and we were made to live into grace and forgiveness, mercy and love. And Jesus ends this prayer by speaking of being made holy. We know this word holy, but let me offer some idea of what it means. It means set apart. And a real easy illustration is china dishes. Anybody have china dishes? Or have you ever had china or your, or your mother or grandmother or uncle has china dishes? And they don't come out just for any meal, do they? They may never come out for any meal ever. <laughs> they are special only for a particular meal. They are set apart for a different kind of gathering. When the queen comes, right? We are called to be set apart in this world. 
not to be kept from going out there, but to be sent out there with a special purpose as a special people. The good news is, in the midst of this great calling, it is Jesus Christ who leads us into the way of eternal life as a faith community out there. Jesus continues to work in our lives through the Holy Spirit to set us apart and to draw us together as the people of God. It's Jesus' presence made known to the world through us. And God is glorified through our work as the church. We are equipped, we are empowered, and we are called to live the eternal life here and now and to witness out there and continue to witness it to each other. We're each given to each other to continue the work of truth, the work of Jesus, to reveal the way. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. Maybe that's another way to say it. We are to live by the way and the word of God out there. We come here, we draw together, we draw strength, and then we go out there. We may be out there, but we belong to God first and only. Amen? Because that's the way it works. That's the truth. That's the logic. That's the way. We may be out there, but we belong to God and one another. Our biggest struggles come when we forget that simple truth. We must commit to God and one another regularly and proclaim, we we are yours, God. May you enter into this life anew, right here and now, in a new way in this body together. May you join closer. And if you're having struggles, if you've made each other mad, may you come together and say, you know, our life of faith is bigger than that. And maybe you didn't make me mad after all. Maybe we just need to sit and talk and allow God to draw us together. May you commit to each other more deeply. And may you settle for nothing less. You know, when someone says, how are you doing this morning? And they're, I'm good. Most people of faith say, no, no, not good enough. How are you doing? Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's connect. Let's be a community. And then we'll go out together. So may you walk together, friends, struggling, growing, learning, and uniting so that you may go out there and be the people of God in all that you do and experience eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.